0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From the Lighthouse. I'm Stephanie, here with my extremely awful, cold voice. Um, apologies for the terrible voice that I have at the moment. Um, I'm here with my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Lee O'Brien. Hi, Lee. Hello, Stephanie. And um, I have battled through illness, and so has Lee, in order to talk about A.A. A. Milne's detec- one and only one detective and only. novel, The Red House Mystery. Yeah. And no, it is not a book in which Winnie the Pooh plays the detective. No. <laughs> Although That's, I really yeah. want it to be. <laughs> That's...
1: And Eeyore, nobody's there. No yeah, no, no Tigger, no Eeyore. No, no. I do love Eeyore.
0: Oh, so I love Eeyore
1: too. Yeah.
0: Eeyore's very down about things, isn't he? I understand how well, he feels sometimes. Yeah. yeah, frequently actually. <laughs> um, So yeah, let's talk about the Red House mystery. So yes. you told me about this. I had I no idea that it even existed. No. But you being the expert on Golden oh. Age mysteries, um, yeah. you, you told me about this. So what drew you to the Red House mystery?
1: Well, actually... That's a good question, but I, I, I can't actually remember. I think it, it's when I started reading Golden Age stuff big time. I just came over uh, across reference after reference to a lot of lot of writers I'd never heard of before, but also someone like A. 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 Milne, who I obviously knew from Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> I had no idea that he'd written a detective novel of all things, and so I was just fascinated by the idea and bought it and was just totally charmed by it so that was all it was just I I knew and it's I think the first publication date of it is 1921 but it was it it went through multiple editions and he's got a lovely self-deprecating um forward to that edition that we've both got I think that's 1926 when it's there's other edition and I think he I think this is all before Winnie the Pooh because he um I think he started into the children's stuff after this I was reading about that a while ago but it's sort of gone out of my head but anyway yeah it was just just my passion for golden age once you it's like a virus today. yeah it's like a lurgy once you get we have this, sickness on the brain clearly we, we, yeah. we have we, we, and and yeah I, I just keep finding these amazing writers and and um so and I think and I can't remember in what order I came across this but Raymond Chandler in The Simple Art of Murder, he has, this is the essay that he demolishes basically everybody else except Chandler himself and Hammett and and really goes to town on the golden age detective writers, especially women. I mean, cannot stand I mean, you know, just get out of the game, girls, you know, and let the boys do it, that kind of stuff. But he has a section on the Red House mystery and he absolutely demolishes it. He does say it's a charming thing, but he, he says the plot is full of holes. You can, there's so many things you cannot believe about it. And Which I have to say,
0: for Chandler to say that is very rich, because Chandler is, as we've talked about before on this podcast, yes. extremely battered plot. The pot calling the kettle black. In fact, I yes. would say that A.A. has much greater aptitude for plot yes. than Chandler. Yes.
1: Where he well Chandler's not having any of that. Chandler is really bitchy <laughs> about other about other writers. He's very dismissive of Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes, um, and he attacks all the mistakes in Sherlock Holmes, which I think is to miss totally miss the point of what mm. Conan Doyle is doing and what A. A. Milne is doing so brilliantly. So that's how I came to it. But you say you came to it. Through me,
0: yeah, I did. And so, yeah. so you told me about this, and I read it a few weeks ago, and I absolutely adored it. I thought it was funny yeah. and charming yeah. and mischievous. Yes, yes, I loved, absolutely loved the somewhat cheap but always hilarious potshots about Australia, <laughs> because the there's a surprising, there's
1: wasn't a, it? yeah,
0: there's a set of brothers in the book, and the yeah. the, the brother who's like, the bad seed. Has gone to Australia. Yes, of course. This is
1: what what you do with a bad bad seed. seed. Yeah, the younger brother, bad seed. Yes, which is like sending it to another planet. Yeah. yeah, right. (laughs) And then when
0: people are talking about him, they're like, oh, well, he must be rough and a bit bit rough around the edges because he's been in Australia.
1: Yes, yes. In the colonies,
0: roughing it in the bush. So, yeah, I I did enjoy that aspect. A
1: bad penny, bad seed. Yeah. Yes, yes. The... It's funny, isn't it? There are quite a few references to Australia in Golden Age detective yeah. fiction, and they sort of use it as this ultimate fool, you know, this, this... This place where people disappear and 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 never get in touch with their Englishness and their humanity ever again. Yeah, that, yeah this the is the assumption. place where
0: criminality lies. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean, we're all hopeless, and <laughs> the weather might be occasionally quite nice, but the people, are, you know, we don't worry. About yeah, yes. yeah. So all that stuff about Australia was funny. So that just to tell people who don't know about the plot, it's this the bad seed, the bad brother who'd been sent off to Australia. Apparently has come back to upset the good brother Mark Mark Ablett, who has his lovely little house, the Red House, and who sets up, who has set up this theatrical life where he has house guests. So it's a it's a country house mystery, mm. and he has house guests, and he loves playing games, and 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 he um and so that's how it all um, unfolds, isn't it? So and I'm with you. I I think it's very. Charming, and I particularly liked the way Milne is playing with the Holmes Watson character, yes, yes, so what did, what did you
0: think of i that? I loved that, I loved the detective, Anthony Gillingham, who mm. is Anthony Gillingham, sorry, mm. who is not at all a trained detective but just a man who tries a lot of jobs and finds that he's reasonably good at a lot of them. yeah, I loved that, yeah. and he he yeah. sort of um, approaches the mystery and figuring out who's the murderer. Um, as a kind of new intellectual exercise and finds that he is particularly good at it, even though he's never done it before, because he's, he's got a kind of practical, ordered mind. And he takes on um, Bill Beverley as his little Watson. And the absolute adoration that Mr <laughs> Beverley has for Gillingham's deductions is just hilarious. Yeah. And very sweet, and I love the scene where they're out on the water, and they have to, they have to figure out that's right. where things are by like counting the trees <laughs> on the on the side of the of the um, of the lake, yeah. and by figuring out it's the fourth tree intersect bisecting <laughs> with the third tree, and that's where we should. Like dive into the water and find the things that he's dumped in the water. And
1: guess who has to dive into the muddy yeah, water? Yeah, it's not the detective. It's not the no. detective.
0: No, yeah. And there's some
1: very funny stuff about that. Yeah.
0: When I was <laughs> when I was reading that, I was like, this should be a like 1920s screwball movie. Yes. Because it just yes. yeah, it just You're right. yeah, mm. it reminded me of those 1920s kind of yes. the Thin Man movies yeah. where like they're bumbling about and you know. Yeah. One of them is in the water, trying to find a bag, yeah, and then they get yeah. the bag, and it's not quite what they thought was going to be in the bag. So yeah,
1: yes, and and that that lovely sort of witty give and take between them, where yeah. really says, you know, I I you know, I'm doing this. I wish you were here with me. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and it was just I I love that, and I I I thought because you said something really interesting to me when we were chatting about this a couple of weeks ago. You said this is about writing detective fiction. Mm. You saw it as very metafictive, fictive and, and I think that's true. Mm. And I think that's something that Chandler misses about golden age detective, because detection, because Chandler is caught up on this hard-nosed, hard-boiled detective yeah. stuff that Hammett does, which is very obviously politically engaged and, and talking about serious things and serious deaths and all this kind of stuff. And he doesn't really like the puzzle, clue, Mm. detective stuff, which is right at the heart of Golden Age. He sees it as trivial. And I think that makes him miss the point. And that that fictive aspect of it is what attracts later readers like us. I mean, we, we love the way all of these people are playing games with the form. Yeah in a really fascinating way that takes it into another category of crime fiction altogether Mm -hmm. and takes it into, you know, you can do a fascinating discourse analysis on it. It, Yeah. Yeah. And and if it's politically engaged, which I think it is, it's engaged in a different kind of way to the hard-boiled stuff, and Chandler misses all that. So I thought you were spot on when you said that. I, I thought, yes. And for me, the best part of that engagement, and it's very explicit in the story, yeah. is I, I am going to be the detective and I need you as my Watson.
0: Mm. And
1: so they they it, so a lot of the story is these conversations with Anthony and Beverly as, mm. as they're trying to make sense of it all in the presence of the murderer mm. and, and, and in the Red House. So I like that a lot. Um, I Did, were you bothered, did you pick up, did you pick it, did you pick that that it, what, what had actually happened, that it was, Spoiler zone. Yeah, spoiler. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, you can go on. We've we've warned. So there's these two cousins. Mark Ablett has the red house and he has the money. And he's taken on this younger cousin. I think he's his cousin. Yeah. um, As his amanuensis sort of gopher, he's his assistant. And it becomes clear as the novel progresses that Mark Ablett is rather a nasty piece of work. He's manipulative and he's a bit cruel. And Kayleigh is under his thumb in a way that's quite unfair and and when we get to the end and there's um, <coughs> the the letter that Kaylee has sent and and Markablet has just chosen him plucked him out of his, not poverty-stricken, but, you know, straightened circumstances as a young child and sort of used him for his own devices. And, of course, that's 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 going to end in tears. And so it's, sorry, spoiler, but it's Cayley who actually murders Mark Ablett, the Robert, the Australian is a fiction. Um, mm. it, 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 he's he actually was dead three years before mm. any of this, and they cook up this stupid idea that you know he, uh, Mark is going to pretend to be Kayleigh. Um, his, prop, his brother, his yeah, proper. because so, he likes playing funny games. He yeah. likes dressing up and playing mm. funny games, and when he does that, Kayleigh kills him. It's, it, so it's a very carefully plotted murder. Yeah. Kills him and implies that it's, it's Mark who's killed the bad seed brother. So so, as a as a, that makes sense to me as a plot. Yeah. Um, and I did you pick that it was Kaylee that, that, that something was yeah. Wrong?
0: I, I I did pick it was Kaylee, but actually what I zeroed in on is I always suspected that the dead body was Mark because I think I've read uh, enough kind of yes, um, yes. detective novels especially of this type that yeah. like the the brothers who you think one of them is the murderer and one of them is the victim but it turns out it, to be the opposite it's, way, it's way around although way it's around. not quite that but it's, mm. it's somewhat similar um that's what i picked up on i thought i yeah. bet that's mark that is the the actual yes, victim um that he's actually killed and so you got it i got it and i don't know i felt really sorry for kaylee i didn't really yes. see him as a yes. as a scary you know, murderer, no, no. Um, perpetrator. I saw him as, like, there's a really weird class dynamic that's playing out. Absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, and so I just felt really sympathetic to Kaylee and just thought, well, yeah, Mark is a pain in the, he's in the neck. I'd probably shoot him too. He, he deserves yeah. to die. It does yeah. in
1: our moral sense, doesn't it? Because yeah. I, I, a lot of the people who are murdered, I think, well, yeah. Yeah. 18, one, one.
0: Well that's the the, the joy idiot. of golden <laughs> age mysteries is that often the murderers, like um the murdered, sorry, are just so deserving of being murdered they that you must. kind of think, Yeah. yeah. Why, go why for do it. We
1: care? Yeah,
0: go for it. They're dead.
1: But, yeah, so the yeah. more vicious the death and, yeah. and, and and cleverly done the better. Yes, I I I I can I just can't I I just developed a lot of sympathy for Kaylee. And then there's that sort of deflected romance plot. I forget the name of the young woman yeah. who lives near uh, and Mark is starting to zero in on her and Kaylee has fallen in love with her and the d- the implication is that Anthony has fallen for her too. Because mm, she's it, very beautiful. Yeah, yeah. she's very she, of course, of course she she's has very to beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it's perfect skin, perfect hair, you know, I yeah. just liked her. <laughs> But so there's a, it's the embedded romance plot. It never, yeah. it never takes It's very homosocial. It's, it's all blokes. Yeah. And so you could, but you could actually see. I thought the psychology of Kaylee was interestingly done. Mm. You could see, in some sense, he'd been abused and and, yeah. and taken
0: advantage of. And actually, I thought that Mark was interested in the woman whose name we forget yeah. because Kaylee was interested. And he wanted to get one up on Kaylee yeah. and show who yes. was who was boss. Yes and who had the money and the ability to kind of buy yes. a woman.
1: Yes. and her nasty mother yeah. is, is is going along with all that because Mark is such a catch. Yeah, but Kaylee is not. Mm. So I, lo- I love your point that there's a really interesting class dynamic going yeah. on in all of this.
0: And I think that's another thing that Raymond Chandler misses because I think it's easy to look at this sort of golden age detective stuff like this and Agatha Christie and so on and say, well, you know, it's about like rich or upper middle class people, you know, swanning about in country homes and having parties and, you know, drinking Mm. gin and whatever. Mm. But there actually is more going on under the surface. Like if you Mm. think about this book about um, the way in which power is able to be deployed by Mark. Yes. It it becomes really politically inflected and it becomes a critique almost of that. Well, I think it is a critique of that power. Yes. So I think that to read this on a surface level as like, okay, this is rich people swatting about, having parties and playing games and dressing it up. misses it, doesn't it? misses the point, mm. which mm. is actually that that is a kind of corruption of power. That is a yes. kind of diseased yes. world, even yes. though it's on the surface glamorous.
1: Exactly. And and I think it's interesting too that it's called the Red House Mystery because mm. the, the the source of Mark Ablett's power is is property ownership. Yeah. Very gothic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and um and yeah, I think you're absolutely right that there's it's it it can appear to be very conservative a lot of this stuff that we're fascinated by these people because basically they're amazing, but I think it, you and I probably tend to think it's more we're fascinated fascinated by these people because they're actually monstrous,
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think it's like a not very careful reading to look at them and say well you know they're they're glamorous and you know they're rich and mm. you know whatever, but they are horrible, yes, yes, they're often horrible yes. like i think yes. I'm thinking of of other um golden age because Lee and I as as listeners have probably noted swap books frequently <laughs> um and so I, I'm thinking of other like george Ed Hayer's um mm mysteries they're all about terrible people mm. the families are mm. terrible and they're not they're fun to read and they're witty and sparkling and very um charming but they're about just horrible people yes and people who are
1: horrible because of the privileges they yeah enjoy. exactly and it's all very nice to look at the lovely clothes and the lovely houses but you do get the impression from a lot of this stuff that it it allows these really nasty personal and social attitudes to breed unchecked. Yeah. Even in a form, um, you know, the, the, the classic detection, you know, country house mystery, I still think there are aspects of unease yeah. about insiders and outsiders and that's another gothic trope mm. isn't it you know who who are the insiders who are the outsiders who has the power to determine that and what mechanisms maintain that division so that some people like Kaylee, can never get inside the fence only mm. as a servant only mm. as as, as
0: a, worker, know, yeah. a worker yeah a worker a worker bee mm.
1: who's not supposed to have sexuality mm. i think that's really interesting because that's what is picked up in that wonderful novel, The Remains of the Day. Mm, yes. How the, 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 the butler. Yes, yeah. he has to give up his full masculine humanity, including his sexuality, in order to be the perfect butler. That That is so brilliantly observed mm. from... A, a, a much harsher perspective, I must admit. Mm. But it, the, but the power dynamic of that novel that that that's so brilliantly done.
0: But even in this, you know, Kaylee has not had an opportunity to have his own independent life no. or make his own choices. You know, um, so yeah, he's not he's not allowed to be a sexual being, but he's also not allowed to be an individual. He has to be the second in command and yeah, second in charge. Yeah, yeah. His, and his whole yeah. life is just about service there's nothing else yes. that he's allowed to do no
1: no and if he wants to do more the markablets of the world uh humiliate him or hurt him or or you know they they, they have no 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 time for people who want to muscle in on on what they see as their own yeah. privileges now that comes out i don't we can't mislead people that that comes out quite obliquely yeah. in the red house but I think it's there, and it's there, isn't it, through Antony's response to Kaylee? Mm. Because I, I found this really interesting that he he start. I forget. It's sort of around about the middle of the novel where he realizes what's been done, and he realizes who the real. Um, maybe it's earlier than that. They do know that Kaylee's the bad guy, mm. and Beverly, his friend, the Watson, just sort of is is quite critical of him. Mm. But Anthony isn't. Mm. He's, he is, he, yes, he's a murderer and murder will out, but he he's, he's develops a sympathy for him Yeah. that makes it, he, he's very uneasy that Kayleigh has to suffer from what he's done. And Anthony doesn't know either of them directly before the murder happened, whereas the Watson does. And it, I thought it was brilliantly done that Anthony gets a very clear idea of the monstrousness of, of Mark Ablett through Beverly's descriptions of him. Mm. And Beverly has no idea what he's revealing, that, yeah. that he's revealing a very nasty man. Yeah. And and Anthony keeps saying to him, you know, oh, do, do Mark Ablett for me again because he... Beverly would sort of perform and and show him the kind of man Mark O'Blett was, was, not yeah. trying to be critical of him, but actually showing this nasty, manipulative swine of a person.
0: Yeah, and I think that was actually really brought out well by the fact that Michael O'Blett liked to play these ridiculous games. Yes. That really, in like, yes. I think that was yes. a brilliant way of, of showing yes. what sort of man he is because yes. they're tiresome. Yes. The games that he likes to play are exactly the kind of games that a clueless rich guy would find, would. find really funny mm. but are often at the expense of other people. I remember
1: somebody, want, a couple of them want to go off and play golf on an afternoon that yeah. he didn't want them to play golf. And, and he gets furious. And they have to come back at have, a certain yeah, time. Yes, yeah. they do. They can't break his rules. Yeah. Um, and so Anthony develops a sympathy for the murderer and he lets him off, doesn't mm. he? Because he well, he sends him the letter and he warns him that he's got to he's got the evidence against him.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: it takes a whole novel for him to get that, but he has got it, and he has to pass it on to Scotland Yard. Mm. But he warns him,
0: yeah. And you know, it's it's um it's astounding, I think, to think about how many Golden Age mysteries that actually happens. Mm-hmm. Because there's a few Gladys Mitchells that are like that, um, quite a few. Mm-hmm. Um, even some Agatha Christies, um, mm-hmm. you know, that idea that the murder is somewhat, at least somewhat, justified by the bad behaviour of the of the murder. That's
1: that's an interesting point, and and I don't know where it actually comes from, but one one of the Sherlock Holmes stories, is Charles Augustus Milverton, the blackmailer. Y- yeah, that's right, and he is. Uh, it's a, one of the best stories. It's a very late one, but he's murdered. Mm. And Holmes actually says, is it Gerard or Lestrade or whichever policeman he's mm. dueling with at the time, they come um, to, to get help with the murder of this blackmailer. And Holmes actually says, no, I won't help you because my sympathies are with the murderer. Mm. Yeah. And and so I don't know if they pick that up, if the golden age people pick it up specifically from from the Sherlock Holmes stories, or if there is a there's possibly a longer, a much longer lineage of that, where the bad person, and the and the person who's killed actually deserves to die, but of course not legally and not, not yeah. you know not not in terms of crime and punishment.
0: Yeah, and I think that, I mean, it shows how. Actually, despite what Chandler says, I feel like I'm spending this entire podcast talking about
1: Chandler it, well, being well, being wrong. Did, well, yes, but I well, think he is wrong. He but I think, and I think there's a
0: like a deep kind of moral kind of working out consciousness in these novels. It's not just about like, oh yes, we're going to solve crime no, and it'll not. be delightful and funny and ha ha ha. It is actually mm. engaged with a morality and a thinking through of the circumstances upon which these things are based and how yeah. like yeah. that for him to go to jail for the rest of his life isn't actually serving morality you know it serves the law but not justice. it serves the law but not justice yeah. it's not yeah. actually just for him to to spend the rest of his or, or hang mm. which is probably more likely to happen mm. at that time mm, yeah. um yeah. It, that's not justice what happened to mark ablett is not quite justice because i don't think like he did deserve to be murdered, but like he did deserve to be murdered to some level, yeah. or he deserved—you know—he deserved something to happen to him, to, like his power punishment to be stripped away. Yeah. He deserved punishment yeah. for yeah. for being such a horrible person. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. To me, these these books ask all sorts of complex questions about justice, and
1: I think so too. Yeah. And they—and don't they register diff- the changing nature of crime? Because yeah. I think Gothic does this brilliantly. Um, it, it, yeah, we start with the Castle of Otranto, and 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 Gothic endlessly reinvents itself. And one of those reinventions is that it morphs into detective fiction. Yeah. And I, because I, I've just been teaching *Hound of the Baskervilles* this week, and just thinking of the of the uh, the criminal Stapleton in *The Hound of the Baskervilles*, I was saying to my classes, I think it's interesting that he sometimes he, he in a sense foreshadows that much later um, development in. The nature of the criminal—that is, the, the psychopathic killer—who doesn't really have a normal motive; it, it, it's ple- it's killing for the pleasure of it. Even though Stapleton, as a Baskerville, is trying to get the property, another gothic element—he he ha- he—he just takes such joy mm. in the crime itself, and and the poor dog that is made into the murder weapon, and this duel with with Sherlock Holmes. And it's picking so it's picking up on that idea of the way modern society just renders crime such an open category and the changing psychological nature of crime. people are no longer just banged on the head because somebody wants their watch or their money or whatever.
0: Mm.
1: There's much more complex understandings of what crime is and I think for all its artificiality, I'm with you. I think golden Age fiction engages with this
0: Mm. yeah no and i think that's that's interesting in coming out of gothic but i think it's also interesting in terms of the way that comes out of changing notions of crime in society generally like i'm thinking about like the rise of the serial killer as a kind of um not only just as a, a a social like somebody who actually kills multiple people but um as a kind of Social idea, like mm. coming out of like Jack the Ripper mm. and those kind of Victorian murder cases in which it's obvious that one person has committed a variety of crimes. Mm. I think you're right, um, it goes back to Jack the Ripper. That's the 1880s. Yeah. yeah.
1: Something happened in the 1880s. Crime, a lot of crime changed and literary accounts of crime. Well, I was
0: reading an interesting book recently, which I have to tell you about. So this is a good opportunity to tell book? you about. No, okay. no, no. Okay, right. It was. Yes. I actually found it a little bit repetitive. I think, like, if I read half of it, to be honest, and um, didn't read the rest, but I thought I got the gist. Um, it was the. It's called the Invention of Crime, oh. and it was about Victorian crime, basically real, true crime, and um, it was about how crime started to shift in the way it was seen by the public in the Victorian period. So there were these, you know, big famous crimes, Um, and then they fed into, you know, they were translated into literature really quickly in like the Penny Dreadfuls and so forth and Mm -hmm. Melodrama in the theatre. And that idea of crime being something both monstrous but also something of intense interest in literature and um, in society and culture generally I Mm -hmm. think feeds into these golden age mysteries that idea that crime can tell us something can can diagnose something about our modern life it wasn't you know I think that um the crime before before this kind of period was seen as you know a violent crime that happened that was dealt with and kind of didn't really yeah Yeah. it didn't really kind of feed into the public consciousness um really shifted in the Victorian period and I think that really shifted especially with Jack the Ripper because that was such a huge kind of moment for um, Victorian culture in in terms of thinking about criminality and the capacity of people to do really awful things. And finding,
1: trying to think of a motive for the Jack the Ripper crimes. Because Judith Wolkovich has a wonderful account of the Jack the Ripper crimes. Um in her book about London it's, it's it's such a classic account of crime and she tracks in um, newspaper accounts of that crime and they start comparing Jack the Ripper to a werewolf mm. because the police come on the body sometimes they're still warm mm. and <laughs> Gruesome details, but they ca- The killer is never there, mm. and there was that sense that developed in the in the press accounts of the Jack the River crimes that that something was abroad, that was possibly not even human. It was this mm. like this disembodied idea of violent crime, that could could attack anywhere and the last I think it's the last murder is particularly horrible the murder of the young prostitute because it happened the murder and dismemberment it's back, it's off the streets and it's in her house mm. and so therefore there is that sense of the domestic being a site of danger and murder and horror mm. that people can't actually control now that's picked up in the red house mystery yeah and 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 that's what the country had you get the um the, the sort of bucolic versions of this with country house murder because that's a very city concept that yeah. the, the domestic is no longer safe but in something like the red house mystery and and the, those um similar kinds of stories they're taking that idea of the fundamental instability of the domestic i find that really interesting mm. and that to me that is something that the gothic Brings in to um, into play so in such a vivid and melodramatic and absurd, extravagant way.
0: Well, the Gothic is often about family drama and like mm. you know often the the mm. murders play out amongst members of a family. So mm. you know mm. mothers, daughters, yes. sisters, husbands. Exactly, and that's yes. exactly what happens. F- yeah, that's exactly what family. happens in the Red House Mystery. Mm. It's it's mm. essentially mm. a family, yes. um, or you know if not cousins still family so yeah not that close but still close um yeah it's always about you know families fighting over something usually property usually money usually power um that goes with it the the power power that that goes with property yeah Yeah. Yeah. so it it, yeah that's what the gothic really brings to these these um country house mysteries is that idea of the the domestic the crime that takes place within the family home which is where you're supposed to be safest yes you lock yourself up
1: and it's 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 away from the public sphere with all its violence, but it isn't. It never was. Yeah, it, it never, it never was. was. No, no. You mentioned a book. I can mention a journal article to you, which I haven't finished reading. One of my students actually recommended it in the context of a discussion of Lady Audley's Secret, and that the way in which the, the literary develops strong connections with the way crime is being reported in newspapers. Mm. And they begin to feed off each other. Because another thing that fascinates me is that with the growth of the private detective a la Sherlock Holmes and a la Anthony Gillingham in the Red House, what, what was actually paralleling that was this very um, strong development in the police capacity to handle mm. crime. Yeah. So the real amazing stuff was actually going on in the police force. So you get that disjunction, between what is happening in the novels and what is happening in the real. And this journal article argues that, well, it's got all the information, it's an in perspective on this, that um, cr- the crime rates were actually going down mm. in the 19th century because the police were getting so much better at what they did. But also, once uh, capital punishment was taken off the table, juries were much more likely to convict because yeah. they didn't like convicting when they knew the person was going to die. And mm. and so that meant that the person just went out in the streets again and just went on their merry way, pillaging and losing yeah. and whatever. Once capital punishment was no longer an option, then the the crooks were taken off the streets. And actually the crime rates fell. I didn't know this. No way. I... But people's perception of the crime rate was that it was going through the roof. It just reminded me of... Current debates, yeah, isn't crime. that always
0: the case? You know, we have a such a low murder rate compared to you know twenty, thirty, fifty years ago. Well, the, yeah, that's,
1: that's right. And and politicians can can um, sort of latch on to this anxiety, mm. but it's actually, it's it's. <laughs> I was going to say fake news. Oh, don't let me say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it, it was it was actually going against the reality. So the literary was feeding into cultural anxieties and fears about safety mm. in a way that was actually going against what the real the reality of I God I found that fascinating. Yeah,
0: I think that's that's right. Because I think that you know when you have a proliferation as we do now and certainly as the Victorian age started to have of crime narratives, you kind of get the sense that crime is all about is everywhere. Is everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. that's not true. And most crimes, as even the Red House mystery is, are crimes within family of people yes. who know each other. Yes. So you're much likely, more likely to be murdered by a family member, yes. sadly, yes. than yes. by a, by a, a, a random stranger. stranger. Which is true even now. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right. Yes. And all sorts yes. of crimes are more common amongst family members than yes. um, random strangers.
1: Could we just talk a little bit about Anthony Gillingham and Beverly as Holmes and Watson? Yep. Because I think that's one of the most interesting aspects of the novel. And I thought Anthony Gillingham was a very
0: humanised
1: version of Holmes. Yeah, did you think that?
0: Yes, I did, because he he's very good at detection as yeah. he finds. Yeah. But he's also never done it before, and he's sort of figuring out that he's really good at it while he goes. And he's not. He hasn't got that like detachment, and he's no. he's genuinely fond of. Of Beverly, and he has he's compassionate, he understands what's going on with Mark Ablett and Kaylee straight away. Um, in that he he sort of understands that Mark Ablett is not a good dude, picks up almost that, immediately. Yeah, yeah, um, the vibe, <laughs> yeah, he gets that vibe straight away. Yeah. yeah, I found him really lovely. Like, he's got that intelligence and that kind of deduction ability of, of Holmes, but he hasn't got the the arrogance and the detachment.
1: Well, and Holmes, Holmes says to her, I am a brain, Watson. You know? Yeah, um, and he's all for the scientific method, and he never gets emotionally engaged with 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 the crime. With yeah, the, um, oh, that's not true. Sometimes, Sometimes he does, but it's a rare thing, and he sees it as a puzzle, mm. as a pattern. I mean, the uh, the pattern has been disturbed, and he's the one who can fit the make the pattern make sense again and and get beyond the crime but he he's very rarely emotionally engaged whereas Watson always is Mm. but I thought Anthony Gillingham was a kind of combination of Holmes and Watson Mm. because he's emotionally he sees it as a an emotional problem as well as a problem of crime
0: and that's where he has the edge over Holmes because Holmes is able to, you know, figure out, you know, what sort of cigarette ash yeah. it all, you know, all of this, all, it, all of this stuff. Um, but actually, Gillingham has the advantage of going, well, humans would react this way in this situation, yes. and this is where, like, yes. you know, you would be angry, you would be jealous, you would be mm-hmm. resentful, you'd be bitter, blah blah blah. So he, because he's got a greater emotional kind of intelligence, he's able to pick up on the emotional kind of um, context. Yes, and Holmes doesn't he doesn't work that way no he doesn't he looks at the patterns of like evidence more than the emotional stuff
1: and in particular with Holmes he always makes stupid comments about women for example because he goes from all these preconceived ideas and you know that it's just really irritating reading what he says and there's that in implication about Anthony Gillingham, that he's going to fall in love, that he doesn't see women as a s you know an alien species yeah. who are just going to muck things up if you let them. <laughs> so I thought there was that's that's a very explicit part of this novel. He's mm. as you say, he's re. It's about writing detective fiction. Who are you going to call? Well, you're going to start thinking about Holmes and Watson. So how do you yeah. how do you reinv- how do you rethink
0: them? I just thought that was so charming watching him go well you know, I've done a bunch of jobs, you know, and he's done all sorts of jobs, yeah. and, you know, he's usually quite good at them, and then he just comes, stumbles, like literally yeah. stumbles up the path into a murder, yeah. into a murder scene, and um, he's like, oh, might as well try and figure this out, and, and he sort of figures out quite quickly that he's actually quite good at quite it, good and at perhaps it. he should do yeah. this, you know, yeah. that this is something that he should perhaps potentially do. I thought found that really charming.
1: <laughs> and when
0: I... I was doing some
1: reading about AA. Milne, um, just briefly about you know what he did, and, you know all the stuff about Chris, his son getting a bit annoyed <laughs> about being Christopher Robin and yeah. getting into trouble at school getting teased and all that kind of thing, and how in many ways the Winnie the Pooh stories were a bit problematic for the whole family. Mm. But I didn't know that his father Milne's father ran a small um, public uh, i.e private school yeah uh, for boys and one of because you know i love school stories i haven't read a lot of them but i do find the politics of them utterly mesmerizing and um that whole public school ethos um i i find really interesting and i thought it was fascinating the way anthony interacts with his friend Beverly yeah uh, uh, Bill Beverly and their dialogue seems to me pure sort of public school educated yeah. boy dialogue yeah
0: yeah that's Did true I had out? I didn't think of it that way but it, it certainly is they're like chums yes, yeah.
1: and they speak the same idiolect the same yeah. lingo yeah and they understand each other and Kaylee doesn't Mm. Kayleigh can't play that game. And I thought, now that's another way in which the politics, the class yeah. politics, are registered. And it's something that comes out in in Sayers, for example, because Peter Whimsy comes, you know, yeah. he's the aristocrat, he's been to Eton or Cambridge or all that, blah, blah, blah. And it's made him a certain sort of man because it's given him a certain kind of idiolect, a certain way of speaking, apart from anything else, let alone if. Behavior, but it's a way he can interact in particular with other men. Mm. And I just thought that was a re- I thought, God, you know this, this is almost do- what would I know? But it seemed almost documentary to me, this kind of ease that they had with each other, mm. all coming from the ways of in- these gentlemanly ways of interacting.
0: Yeah, that's a really good observation. Yes yeah.
1: linked to the public school. Um, the public school boy in the public school code and it's it, why I get interested in male uh, schools is that I think I don't think you can really understand politics um, in in that particular situation without understanding the old boy net and the, the maybe way maybe still in which, yeah. oh, probably yeah. I would think so um, not I don't know if it's the the case so much here in Australia, but I think still in the UK, but certainly when we're talking about 19th century, early 20th century, all that ruling elite, Mm. they they come out of that public school Mm. culture, and they have ways of, of, of talking and doing things that exclude other males. Yeah
0: and, and it, then mark them as part of the club or as not it does yeah.
1: and it it, certainly, it excludes where i come to it from a horror because i can't, i keep thinking well where do women fit into all this well they don't and yeah. yeah exactly well i mean where how, if if all power comes from this network of of friends and relationships and really you know a kind of intimacy that develops between males and that is that is, it's supposed to be left behind at school, but it, in some ways, in the more erotic elements of it, it's supposed to be left at school, but, of course, it never is.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking now about Mark Ablett and how he kind of fits into that because he, like I said, the the games thing really irritated me because, I don't know, I find people who like to play dress-ups and all that really irritating. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> um, but, like, he almost acts like an overgrown schoolboy who, who who likes who likes, like, the amateur theatricals part of it and has pretensions of being this, you know, theatrical dude, but he's clearly just boring. It's uh-huh. a
1: school ethos, isn't it? Yeah,
0: it's like, oh, let's mm. play dress-ups and play a prank on somebody. Yeah, and dormitory. he's never gotten over that. No, it's
1: dormitory stuff.
0: It's dormitory stuff. And yeah, perhaps that's yeah. why Anthony, Anthony yeah. is able to so easily pick up on that yeah. because he's also... Yeah. From that milieu of, of of men that like to play dormitory pranks,
1: and and it's sinister. I mean, I find it quite yeah. sinister. And I, a lot of this reading I've done comes out of reading Lady Audley's Secret with yeah. Robert Audley, who who and and the kind of erotics of his relation, his understanding you know, with all the George stuff and all that, and his hatred of Lady Audley and his destruction of her. There's been some really interesting journal articles about Braddon mentions Eaton at certain stages in in Lady Audley's secret, and there's been some fascinating historicist analysis saying that it was a big issue about sexual politics at Eton and these 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 elite schools and the kind of male that they were producing. Mm. And it was even in in the 1850s there was a big report about the private schools, public schools. I keep wanting to call them private; they're public schools. And how even at the academic level they weren't functioning properly, but they were really producing these these erotic, erotically charged relationships with the boys, and that and that was ma- that was setting them apart in a way that was. It, it, creating problems in in the real world mm. but they were actually able to replicate those relationships outside in the real world as long as it was never explicit yeah and this is where oscar wilde comes in of yeah. course because he just blows the lid off all of it so i was just i just i, find, I thought yeah if you want to understand power in these english texts that we're reading and male power and where it comes from and how in particular how it excludes women you you have to go back to that education system don't mm, you yeah such a noxious thing, it is. Well, really yeah. really awful. I mean, from my, I just loathe it. I, and I keep, because I keep thinking, well, if I was a mother and I had a son, d- 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 would people be telling me where I was sending my son, you know, what what, what was actually going to happen to him when he you went to what, boarding I, I ju- school? I, I mean, actually
0: I... think that it's <laughs> not so different here because no, I think that no. there is a very small proportion of, of private schools here which produce the politicians and, CEOs and etc cetera of, think, of today. I think you're right. And mm. I think especially in Sydney and probably in Melbourne too, where you went to school is very it indicative of where right. you end up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And where you went to yeah. school says something about you. Oh, yes. I often find that mm. people talk about where they went to school more than where they went to uni. <sighs> um,
1: oh, dear. oh, God. I, hopefully I, I've left behind people.
0: But yeah, no, no, I know it's what not, you mean, but you yeah, know, not, not so much the people I hang around with, but, <laughs> but I think that like people in, in the corporate yeah. sector, oh, yes, yes. I think are much more like that.
1: And even if they don't talk about it, it's all there, they they have their CVs, and it, 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 it's 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 yeah, it, it's a way of reproducing homo so male homosocial power that I think people have to. Take account of
0: something yeah. or another and I think we need to think about it and think about seriously about what it says about the kind yes, of people that rise to the what, top. You what know, it's that, doing. yeah, yes. like if you look yeah. at the politicians, they all have, yeah. not all, but a lot of them have a even one school I'm thinking about in Sydney. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyone who who yeah. lives in yeah. Sydney will probably be able to figure out which yeah. one I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. Um, the the there's a pattern there, and yeah, they all went to is. that particular school. There is, there is. And so
1: all these sort of school stories that seem on the face of it quite trivial, they're actually not. No, no. Um, and and I, I think the Red House mystery sort of engages quite obliquely with that. But because of the Cayley thing, that insider-outsider thing, it is there. Yeah, I think it's there, absolutely. And there's a sympathetic understanding of it, not that Milne ever turns any kind of criticism against Anthony Gillingham or Bill Beverly they're, they're lovely blokes and and well not they're not blokes they're lovely gentlemen and Milne clearly likes them and I, I don't I, did you get the impression that I don 't think there was ever any serious critique of, of them.
0: No, I didn't think so. I think the serious critique was all trained on Mark Abbot, yes, and the kind of man he yes. was—the worst of that kind of, you know, elite school phenomenon.
1: Yeah, and, and therefore you can put
0: him down as a bad apple. You know, yeah. a bad what is it? The rotten apple in the he's blah, blah, the blah, yeah. Everyone the, else is
1: fine, but yeah,
0: he's the do, kind of know. worst manifestation. Yes,
1: yeah. There's nothing wrong with the system if it produces. See, this is where you could actually attack the Red House Mystery. Yeah. Because the implication is there 's nothing wrong with that system if it 's producing nice men like Anthony and Bill. It only goes astray if it starts producing the mark blitz. yeah, but Kaylee complicates that, I think, yeah, I think so too, yeah yeah, and so you have it see um you, we were talking about the heart of the Baskervilles earlier today and and, and sometimes it 's difficult to teach these. Apparently simple novels, mm. if students in particular just don't read them carefully,
0: because
1: mm. you, if it's just, it's just got a they're so entertaining. If you just sort of approach them in that um, way, that you page gobbling way, you know, you just love it and, and this is all yeah. fun and this is all blah, blah, you know, whatever. It, you, you have to, it's funny, isn't it? The simpler these things are, the more you have to slow your reading processes down.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think you need to, I mean, these golden age mysteries are a good kind of lesson in why attentive reading is important no matter yes. what genre you're reading. Yes. Because I think there's there's a real possibility that you can miss all of these nuances because you just get into that, like like I was saying before, the kind of glamour of them and the fun and the puzzle and yeah. all that. Um, but if you slow your reading down and if you think about it really carefully, there's so much more going on so i think yes. that that's a nice indication to students and to everybody who's reading this sort of stuff mm. that like don't read genre fiction as if it's empty it, it, trivial as if it's because just it's yeah mm. yeah if mm. you if you read mm. Like, yes, the plots are fun and, and mm-hmm. interesting in that, but re- try and read under the plot. Go back. Yeah. Go back.
1: Yeah. After your initial joy, we don't want to kill the joy. No, and I
0: mean, these are but the kind of things you You're allowed to that... enjoy it, people. Yeah, you're allowed to enjoy it, but maybe read it a second time. You <laughs> know, read the, the first time yeah. for fun yeah. and the second yeah. time read it yeah. for… Because it's
1: easy. Yeah. If, you, if you're reading, you know, James Joyce, Ulysses, you know yeah. you're reading a very big book and there's a very tough read. And, and you're probably
0: and, only going to read it once. Oh, you, yeah. You, yeah, with a gun at your head in mind. Uh, my... Yeah, 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 me too. Oh, um, (laughs)
1: Or, or, you know, The Sun and the Fury or or, or, or any kind of modernist text which is deliberately and self-consciously difficult Mm. and invoking all kinds of ways of Mm. twisting and turning and making the language function in all kinds of fascinating ways. None of this genre fiction does this. Mm. All genre fiction relies on that that, uh, uh, of literary language signifying with great clarity.
0: Yeah. and it's supposed to be fun and enjoyable yes. and page turning. Yeah, it's not yeah.
1: supposed to trip you up. No, oh, except well, you know you don't know who the murderer is. And yeah, blah, blah, blah. but it, it's not playing. It, it's not playing games with language. It's using language to communicate. But that doesn't mean that it's simple. And no. this is, is it, this. I I I took I, I I I thought at one stage that I was going to have to stop teaching Sherlock Holmes because I got annoyed with not all students I mean a lot of students will play the game Mm. but some students would just sit there and they're clearly thinking oh this is Sherlock Holmes this is easy and if they do that it's very hard to get them out of that particular set of attitudes and because it's it's really it's reading practice it's Mm. what you understand literary language is and the resources of it and how the simple can be really complicated
0: well I, I had a sort of similar experience teaching actually on your unit on the teaching the sign of four i had students um comment that they thought that the the indian stuff in that novel was there to add color oh, yeah. but wasn't there to do anything political that's right i, I had to take it off
1: yeah <laughs> I, coward that i am i actually took it off this was a for the benefit of the this, yeah this was a, a 100 level unit, you know and I, I i just found that i uh, not all students. Yeah, know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mustn't generalize, but yes, some of them were just seeing it as 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 pot boiling pulp stuff, and and they and I couldn't shift that.
0: Yeah, and I think that that requires a sort of recalibration of reading, like in your head. You you know, yes, it is popular culture. Yes, it is meant to be easy to read. Mm. Yes, it's it's easy to consume in in a mm. very fast kind of unthinking way. Mm. But that doesn't mean that things are there in an unthinking way.
1: No. And do you think it's also related to the dominance of screen, screen culture? Potentially, now? yes. because yeah. we, we, we are dealing with a whole generation of students who really grow up with screens, not with books. Yeah. And so they're not, that actual process of critical reading is getting lost. I, I'm yeah. quite pessimistic. Yeah, bit. no,
0: I, I agree. I, I think that yeah. there is a a lack of education about how to read carefully. Yes. I actually, I don't know whether I blame, I, I sort of blame screen culture in a way, I do, but I also blame high school education. This is my own particular bugbear. Yeah. I don't think that students at high school level are taught how to read carefully no, I don't or in an interesting way. Almost, I think they're taught hmm. to... They're taught around themes and they yeah. can, you know, find a theme, I suppose, if it's very kind of um, overtly there. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think they're taught to read in a kind of subtle, critical, analytical way. No. Um, and I think that's that's not their fault. It's the, it's the fault of the curriculum. It's the system. Yes. Yeah. It's the way it's set up. And the, and the corollary of
1: that is, if you can't find something relating to the theme, well, you know, you, 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 you if it doesn't relate to the theme, it it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like worthless. It's, it's of, like yeah, chuck it out. Yeah. yeah. So so you put blinkers on 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 them and then wonder why they can't see. You know,
0: can't. Yeah, and it, it allows them to. It, it doesn't allow them rather to mm. have those more interesting kind of. Um, mm searching, mm. Mm. reading experiences, mm. even if they're reading something that seems to be on the surface quite simple and easy.
1: And and when I say screen culture, I'm not actually denigrating screen culture because I think, I, you know, Netflix, all this stuff that we, we talk, yeah. we don't only talk about books, we do talk,
0: we do talk about other things, <laughs> other things sometimes, as well. Yeah. But
1: I, I think the students are used to being a little bit more critical uh, of, of when they're watching Game of Thrones or whatever, I think they are engaging, they are yeah. understanding that this is genre stuff, this is fantasy, but it's doing more than that. And I think they're used to making that step from the simple to the complex with what they're watching. And uh, some of them still can't. I mean, some of them still just have that fan response to yeah. Game of Thrones, But for that just because I was teaching that recently. Yeah. But, but I, I think... They can they understand it with with images and and drama more than they they're losing the capacity to do it with the written word. Yeah,
0: I think that's true, mm. and I think that I mean like we've just we've run over time, so we have to oh, wrap up in a we? minute.
1: Oh, sorry. No, yeah. no, no,
0: no, no. That's it's yeah. fine. It was great, but I mean like we've just discussed a golden age mystery that on the surface appears quite you know easy, flimsy, maybe um, you know a trifle we've just discussed it for an hour and we could probably stay here for another two Mm. um so I think that what is necessary is a thinking through of that kind of um more complex interesting response Mm. to texts that that are popular cultural artifacts Mm. and I think you're right that we're quite used to doing that with with tv and with film Mm. but we need to get back to doing that with with books yeah because books, that's where yeah, the real fun is. That is where the real fun is. It's so much more fun than television and film, although I love television or and Twitter. film. Oh. Or Twitter, although I love Twitter too. Um, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, look at how much you can mine out of the Red House mystery. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there wasn't even Winnie yeah. the Pooh. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 No, exactly. And, and Eeyore. No,
0: and Eeyore and no, Tigger no, and all no of our no favourites. of honey. And, yeah, and no, piglet. piglet. Oh, Piglet. Poor little Piglet. I how could we Piglet? How piglet. could we forget Piglet? All right, so that is a, an enthusiastic endorsement for the Red it House is, Mystery. Yes. Go buy it. Yeah, go <laughs> buy it. Go read it. Make AML happy. Make Raymond Chandler very sad. Yes, of they course. both are dead, he, but he you know, deserves I'm sure they. The wake up yeah, 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 yeah. He deserves to be prodded a little bit. He does. <laughs> this has been another episode of from the Lighthouse. Thank you, Lee, for joining me once again. Thank you, Stephanie. It was
1: lovely to be here.
0: It's always lovely to have you here, and we will see you again as a new listeners in two weeks. Bye.